Jazz have the rebound. They're on the run. O'Neal's in the open court. He lobs to Donovan, who packed it with the right hand. Oh, Donovan, you are marvelous. Trey Lyles was on the end of that one, too. Oh, Trey Lyles going to be in Jazz posters forever, and it's not going to be when he was wearing our uniform. The schedule's going to not be easy for us, so it's like, yo, we got to go out there and do it every night. You know, teams are coming at us. we got to be locked in from the jump. This is a point where if we want to be a championship team, we got to do it every night down the stretch. we got to think about where, where we need to be, our game plans. Well, that's on all of us. Skips the pass to Pascal. Right corner three is good. He's a pro. He's been in the league. You see his impact playing with energy. We see him getting stops defensively, rebounding and making shots, and he plays super hard. Bounce pass to Bean. Bean attacking. What a pass. What a layup. Justin Bean, the bucket and the foul. And here comes New Mexico. Mexico with 2.2. Aggies closing up, looking to foul. Takes the shot. It's from half court. It's no good. Utah State wins. It was a lot of fun. It was obviously a great environment. I feel like every game we play at the pit is really close, and those fans are, are pretty crazy and, and very passionate. So we knew it was going to be close coming in. We just had to find a way to get a win, and obviously we got off to a slow start there and had to clean up some things. But I was proud of our guys for how we responded and the coaching staff, and everyone just told us we had to be tougher and, and more aggressive and play with a lot more passion. So I thought that's what we did. Biggest third down in Bryce Young's career. You need 10. Play clock at four. From the pocket. Launching downfield. Underthrown and intercepted. Keely Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. All the way to the end zone. And Georgia is going to conquer the Crimson Tide. Welcome into the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Hope you all are doing fantastic out there wherever you guys might be. I'm Jay Catch, your host here on the Saturday show, and hope that your guys' Saturday is off to a great start. A little smoggy here along the Wasatch Front. We've got a nice little inversion setting in, but nonetheless, a lot to talk about ahead on today's show. We're going to run the depth and breadth of the sports universe, it feels like. we got NFL playoff games starting today, going to carry us through the entire weekend. We've got a three-day weekend with Martin Luther King Jr. Day on Monday. We're going to talk about the Utah Jazz. We're going to talk about Real Salt Lake. Man, we got a lot to get to. And behind the glass today, producing for us is my good friend, Jeff. Jeff, how are you, sir? I'm doing all right. How are you? Not too bad. I like the Manchester United shirt you're wearing. I know you're a EPL aficionado. Yeah, I'm hoping hoping for a win today. Uh, game kicks off in just just under 30 minutes against well, Aston Villa. My team had their game called off this week, so at least you get to watch your team. So Tottenham and Arsenal off this weekend due to COVID concerns. So good so times. are you are you Tottenham or are you Arsenal? Go Spurs, baby! Kind of a I, kind I, of a rough I, I, game I, against Chelsea. I, I like this to week. torture myself. Let's just put it that way. Oh, I mean, I'm not feeling too great about my team right now, anyway. So I mean, <laughs> we're or insane boat there. That's all right. So, yeah, we got plenty to get to ahead on today's show. Jeff will be piping in from time to time. Reminder that the Saturday show is proudly presented by our friends at Mountain Land Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. All right, as we typically do, just a little more of a layout for you guys on today's show. Also, one thing I forgot to tease ahead on today's show. George Klyovkov, the uh, commissioner of the Pac-12, 
12 conference. He has spent 30 minutes with DJ and PK yesterday. We had a great conversation with David and Patrick yesterday. We're going to replay that in two parts for you guys ahead on today's show. That'll be coming up in the 11 o'clock hour. Typically at 1130, we get to what we call five minutes of. We are going to adjust that and push that to 1030. So coming up in our next segment. We'll talk about Saki. Comments from Pablo Mastroeni as Real Salt Lake gets ready to kick off their preseason camp. Albert Rusnak on the move. He made some comments about Albert obviously moving to the Seattle Sounders as well as what they're doing to replace a guy of his caliber. We'll get to that. So we got a lot. We got a lot to get to ahead on today's show. And let's kick it off like we typically do with What's the Big Deal? Do you know who I am? No, I, I can't say that I do. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. I'm very important. Uh, I have many leather-bound books, and my apartment smells of rich mahogany. <laughs> I still love that open, by the way. It's one of the best things we've ever done. All right, so what's the big deal today? We're going to start off with the Utah Jazz. They have been in a nice little break here after losing to the Cleveland Cavaliers Wednesday night. They will be back in action tomorrow night. They're headed uh, to Denver to take on the Nuggets. Uh, a big matchup, I think, especially considering it sounds like the Jazz are getting bodies back. Uh, Joe Ingles returned from COVID-19, health and safety protocols. He played in that game against Cleveland, then found himself uh, getting an early shower after two first-half technical fouls. Then uh, we found out yesterday that both the Rudys, Rudy Gay as well as Rudy Gobert, both returning to practice, coming out of health and safety protocols in their own right. So the positive news is the Jazz are getting guys back. The The question I think I, that still remains is how many more guys will have to deal with this until the Jazz are fully through it. We've seen NBA teams... It seems like they get hit with an initial wave. They have guys going to health and safety protocols. They start to emerge from health and safety protocols. And then more guys go back into health and safety protocols. I am sincerely hoping that is not what the Utah Jazz have to deal with because it it just it hampers your ability to win games. And the Jazz have not had a good stretch here. They've lost four straight. Without Rudy Gobert in the lineup, the Jazz went 1-4. and four. The hope is that he will be cleared to play in tomorrow's game. Obviously, they'll make sure his conditioning is up to snuff. They're supposed to practice today. They practiced yesterday. But Rudy Gobert spoke to the media yesterday, and that's where kind of I want to start here, is he had some very interested and I feel like pointed comments about what he wants to see from the Utah Jazz in terms of their ability with a guy like him. Because Rudy, I think uh, his value to this team was demonstrated in no small part by what uh, the Jazz did without him in the lineup. And Jeff, you produce our Jazz games for us here on the station. You saw this up close and personal. Well, apparently Rudy Gobert is everything for the Utah Jazz. Yeah, those the games without him, I mean, they weren't just I mean, not to be you can, brutal, you can, but they not to just be yeah. bad. They were they were ugly. You like, can write was, off the Toronto game. The Toronto oh, yeah, of the course. Toronto game cuz they they didn't send anybody essentially. Well, in a weird way, that was our best game without him because all the people because it was all the backups and non-normal rotation players and so they were playing their butts off. They yeah. were absolutely working Correct. Toronto and they just ran out of steam because they weren't used to playing that long. I mean, I think Elijah Hughes played 40 minutes mm-hmm. that night. Yeah, exactly. So the Toronto game is the one I think you can write off because they were playing a bunch of the young guys and they're playing with the house money. They're like, sweet, we get to play. And they, 
They took it to Toronto for at least a half. They made Toronto come out and beat them. So that that's the positive news. But outside of that, yeah, the, the value of Rudy Gobert, especially on the defensive end, was just absolutely exacerbated by what the Utah Jazz were struggling with on defense. But Rudy spoke to the media yesterday, and I thought I had a very, very straightforward answer on what the Utah Jazz need to do to take that proverbial next step. Here you go. I mean, obviously, defense. The Cleveland game, obviously, was, was a little different because we didn't have no real center in the lineup, so it's tough to judge on that. But but for the other games, uh, yeah, our, our defense, you know, we... I mean, you could feel that there was no not much of communication. You know, it's, it's not like you choose to give up something. We kind of were giving up everything at the same time, you know, so it's that's what happened, I think, when you don't communicate. And it's, to me, the, the number one area when I feel like we can improve is communication, Consistently, not just one game or not just when it's a big game, we start talking. And then we know that when the playoff comes, we're not, we're not just going to flip a switch and, and all of a sudden communicate, all of a sudden be able to stay in front of our men and all of a sudden being able to rebound. So, you know, it's, it's just about building habits. When I watch some of these other teams, like the, the, the Suns, you know, the Warriors, for example, uh, the, those guys, I think, are a step ahead of us in, ter- in terms of winning habits. I feel like they take every game personally and you know, you can tell Devin Booker is, is playing his ass off defensively. I've been watching like him compared to like two years ago. And, you know, guys like that, you know, they buy in and they, you can tell that they take pride in playing defense, stopping the man, doing whatever they can defensively to stop the other team and, and be part of a, of a winning, you know, culture. And I just think we're not there yet. I think we're going to get there, you know, but I, I think, you know, those stretches going to where, where it really stinks and it hurts. I think going to help us realize that and, and try to build those habits, you know, if we want to be a championship team, you know, I think it was the perfect thing that could happen to our team. There you go, Rudy Gobert. And I think he is dead on with that. The Utah Jazz are on their way to being one of those elite clubs, but nothing they have done previous to this indicates that they are at a championship level. A lot of people last year were extremely frustrated, and I'll, I'll be frank, I was one of them, with that, that loss to the Los Angeles Clippers in the playoffs. To be up in and have a chance at a knockout punch and to give it up in the way that they did was frustrating beyond belief. It was just one of those things that makes you put your head in your hands and just wonder what in the world is happening. And the question this year, I think, for this team was, okay, are they capable of taking that next step? Are they capable of being that club that can go toe-to-toe with the Phoenix Suns, with the Golden State Warriors in the West? In theory, if you make it to the NBA Finals, can you match up with the defending champ Milwaukee Bucks? Can you match up with the Brooklyn Nets? Can you can you go out there and be the big dog and be the team that other teams look to, similar to what we already talked about? We are looking at these other teams, and they have championship pedigrees, or they have proven that they have the capability of getting to a championship level. We are on our way. I think he actually had a very good point there that he said that maybe we're not there quite yet, but we're on our way. He didn't say that, no, we're never going to be at that level. He never said that we already are at that level. We're just not playing up to it. He said that we are on our way to doing that. And I think that the big overall message that we're looking for out of this year Utah Jazz season is when they make it to the playoffs, can they overcome some of the issues that they have had in the past? Uh, the thing about the defense, a lot of people thought Rudy Gobert was played off the floor last year in the playoffs. Okay, you can think that whatever you want. But I think what we've seen recently with Rudy Gobert not on the floor indicates that you need him on the floor. 
I also want to see the Utah Jazz take a little more pride in individual defense, especially along the wings. And there are a lot of people out there crying for the Utah Jazz to make a trade to upgrade their talent base on the wing, upgrade their ability to defend on the wing. Sure, that that in theory, that's a great idea, but you have to find a willing trade partner and find the right guy to come in and be that. I thought that Sarah Todd from the Deseret News actually wrote a really cool newsletter for the Deseret News this week. Uh, it's called the Utah Jazz Mailbag. I don't know, maybe it has a more fancy title than that, but I read it each week. And she actually had a very good point. Uh, Danwell House, who joined the Jazz on a 10-day contract, which is expiring here very quickly, is a guy that... Many of you might recall from his time in Houston when he played alongside guys like uh, James Harden. James Harden obviously has moved on to the Brooklyn Nets now. But when Daniel House was there, he actually was a very reliable, it felt like, 3 and D guy. The Jazz brought him in to see if they could get a good look at him. But House actually came down. He was placed in, I came down. He was placed in health and safety protocols after a short stint with the Utah Jazz. He only played 18 minutes of game action so far for the Utah Jazz. And I think they're sincerely hoping to get him back out of protocol and see what they got. I wouldn't surprise me if they signed him to another 10-day deal to evaluate him further and see if he might be the type of guy who can be a 3 and D defender for the Jazz, can kind of resurrect his career that he had in Houston before it all fell apart, it felt like. He has kind of been wandering out there in the G League and looking for his next opportunity, and the hope is that maybe he is one of those guys with two open roster slots that the Utah Jazz bring in and make into their next 3 and D guy, the guy that can come in and uh, help lock down on the perimeter. Maybe the Jazz do need to make a move before the trade uh, trade deadline. That's coming up in less than a month from now. I believe February 10th is the trade deadline. It's right around the time when the NBA All-Star Game festivities will be taking place. But we're going to have to wait and see on that front. I think that the Utah Jazz, we're going to see them get through this COVID period, I guess is what we'll call it. They're going to have guys going in and out of the lineup, and it's ha- happened to every team in the NBA. The Utah Jazz just so happened to be the last team to get it, and I, it was I, I pointed out that well, the Utah Jazz kind of kicked off things uh, to start the pandemic with Rudy Gobert coming down positive there in Oklahoma City. Sure, but the thing is, we've seen these teams, they get through this COVID struggle or period, whatever you want to call it for each team, and then they get back to playing how they were playing. So it may take two or three weeks for the Jazz to fully get back to being themselves, but we have seen them at points this season be the team that you're like, okay, this is a team that can compete at a high level. We've also seen them at full strength be a team that makes you want to just tear your hair out. It's just it's very, very strange what this team is. But I think Rudy Gobert had a very good point just saying that, hey, Relax, to use the Aaron Rodgers uh, term, the R-E-L-A-X, relax. I'm going to believe in Rudy. This is a guy that I think believes in this team, believes in what they can do. He's obviously confident in his abilities coming back into the lineup. And yes, he mentioned the fact that Cleveland, they didn't play without, they played without a center in the lineup. And it's been a long time since I've seen a team like the Utah Jazz play without a true big man in the lineup. And you know what? You're just going to have to deal with this. And we're all having to deal with it in our own ways. In the sports world, yes, it's causing all kinds of issues with lineups. We've got the NFL playoffs kicking off today, and they're hoping, I'm I'm sure the NFL is hoping to high heaven that they're going to have no issues with COVID during this upcoming playoff run because we know how big of a cash cow the NFL is just in period. But in the playoffs, it just goes to another level, especially with the Super Bowl. And they're hoping that it's going to be uh, an opportunity for them to stay uh, on, stay the, be the big dog and have their top 
players available for those matchups. We'll talk more about the NFL playoffs here in just a moment, but getting back to the Utah Jazz point, is tomorrow night against the Denver Nuggets, in theory, you're going to have Rudy Gay and Rudy Gobert back. Joe Ingles should be available for this matchup, and you should have a more, I don't know, full-strength lineup than you've had previously. Go ahead, Jeff. Well, it's a strange thing that that game that we won without Gobert was against the Nuggets. Yeah. And so... Well, okay. I know it's I know it's a game by game basis. Obviously, yeah. you have to take each game for itself. But it's like, okay, if we can beat the Nuggets or we can beat the Nuggets without Gobert, what did we do in that game that we can learn? Okay, from? I'm gonna produce on the yard. I don't like doing this. Do you have the Donovan Mitchell clip after that uh, from talking about that Denver game? I maybe mean, we'll have to find maybe in the break or something like that. But he talked about the fact that. The Jazz, they need to take more pride in their defense. And he pointed back to that Denver game. He said, essentially what you were saying, what was different about that game that has, that's been different about this period we've been in? Why haven't we taken the same pride, this haven't been as locked in on defense? We did it against Denver. Why are we not doing it over here in these other games? And we'll have to find that clip at some point. Maybe yeah, play I'll later. look for it. But, it, but the thing is, you're right. It, it's exactly it. What was it about the Denver game that stands in stark contrast – don't hit the mic. That stands in tar- stark contrast to what has already what's been happening in the last four games. And again, you have to take it game by game. But beat the Nuggets without Gobert, couldn't beat the Pistons without Gobert. Mm-hmm. And the Pistons, statistically speaking, have been historically bad this season. That's an objective fact. Sure. And yeah. so, what to your point of bringing out what Donovan said, like why couldn't? And not to say if they did what they did against the Nuggets without Gobert that they would necessarily win all those games. No. But they would certainly look better than they did defensively. And I'm with you. I'm full agreement on that. It felt like, okay, if you can if you can do what you did against the Nuggets, why can't you replicate that? And it requires effort, trust me. Anybody who has played uh, basketball at a high level, and trust me, I didn't play at a high level. I played in high school for a very short period, I, and... I just know that defense, it takes a lot out of you. We all want to score buckets. If you play hoops, you want to score buckets. You want to be a guy who sees that ball go through the hoop. But there is another side of the game that you have to prevent those teams from getting to the hoop. And it requires a whole lot of effort. And at the NBA level, it requires extreme amounts of effort because you're talking about the best 450 players in the world. They are the best of the best. And they, in my opinion, are some of, if not the best athletes in all of sports. It's just it's crazy to watch them play. So we'll talk more about this as the show progresses. But I liked what Rudy Gobert's message was to his teammates. Now, flipping over for a moment here and what's the big deal. The other big topic today is the kickoff of the NFL postseason. It is called Super Wild Card Weekend. I know they're calling it Super Wild Card Weekend because they have added two more games. They only have the one team in each conference, the number one seed, getting the bye into uh, the the divisional round of the playoffs. So we've got uh, a, a grand total of six games this weekend. They will kick off today at 2.30 p.m. Mountain Time on on NBC when the Las Vegas Raiders take on the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, Jeff, do you know, uh, you may have seen this. I don't know. I'm going I'm to throw you on the spot here. These two teams have had a long stretch of futility in the playoffs. I believe it's Raiders 19 years, Bengals 31, something okay, like you, that. Okay, you saw it. 50 years between these two combined of no playoff wins. Cincinnati, for example, you know, okay, you and I text back and forth on stuff. Do you know when the first text message was sent? Like, the first one ever. In history? In history. I have no idea. 1992. 
When was the last time the Cincinnati Bengals won a playoff game? No, why did you have 1991. to do that? 1991. <laughs> yeah. Brutal. They, so brutal, Jake. Brutal. No Cincinnati Bengals fan, and I, I actually know two of them in my life. I know two people who are Bengals fans. They like the Tiger Stripes and everything. They have never once in their lives, in the, in the history of the world, never once has a person been able to send a text message that says the Cincinnati Bengals have won a playoff game. That is a long stretch of postseason futility. Keep an eye on uh, BYU Spencer Linton's Twitter if the Bengals win tonight, because I know he's a Spencer's you know, one of a, them. Yes, he's a fan. Yeah, uh, uh, Nello Pesci out there. I don't know if he's listening today. He's a good buddy of mine. He, he also, but Las Vegas in their own right, nineteen years. We have Lincoln. We have Lincoln Kennedy on with DJ and PK each week. He's a former Raiders standout. You now broadcast the games. You're actually going to hear him um, on Raiders broadcast. He he brought the fact when he was DJ and PK. Hey guys, I don't want to date myself, but I was playing for that team that won the last time that we won in the playoffs for the Raiders. Oh man. So. It's crazy. So, yeah, we're kicking it off with two teams that have had really long stretches of no success in the playoffs with the Raiders and the Bengals. We will cap things off tonight with New England at Buffalo. Going to be frigid. And, Jeff, you are from the Northeast. You know how cold it can get. Buffalo apparently uh, low of two degrees with wind chills into the minus teens. That sounds balmy. Dedication, baby. Oh, there are geez. people who are going to be there the entire game. They're going to be prepped. They're going to be yeah. lining up hours before. It's called the Bills it's, Mafia. It's what you do. Yeah, the Bills Mafia, baby. And by the way, these two teams did play. It was week uh, 15, uh, played in like 60-degree winds, and it was not football that we've seen in recent memory. I think New England threw a grand total of three passes in that win on Monday night. It was just absolutely nuts. So they're going to rematch. Tomorrow's games feature the Philadelphia Eagles at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The uh, road to uh, back-to-back Super Bowl titles begins in Tampa Bay with Tom Brady taking on the Eagles. Then my team, the San Francisco 49ers, taking on the Dallas Cowboys. Anybody who is my of my generation who grew up in the 1990s, this is a throwback. The Niners and the Cowboys in the 90s were epic, epic matchups. And I'm looking forward to that one. Then Pittsburgh at Kansas City. I think Kansas City is going to absolutely trounce Pittsburgh and send Big Ben on his way. And then we'll cap things off Monday night. The Arizona Cardinals at the Los Angeles Rams, an NFC West showdown to cap off uh, Super Wild Card weekend. And I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Jeff, just quickly here, who is your Super Bowl pick? Who are you picking to win it all? Um... It's hard to I'll I'll say this and you'll be like that's a cop out answer and I'm okay. gonna say it anyway. To me, there because some people are like, oh, Green Bay Packers, uh, sure. Chiefs, clear favorites. To me, there is no clear favorite this year. I feel like all of the teams have had enough ups and downs that it's kind of up in the air. And okay. and I feel like this season is more set for an upset than recent other seasons i could see that absolutely i'm with you on that my two favorites and i know that they are cop-out answers to a degree i I got green bay i I i've aaron Rodgers. there's no reason to not pick someone like green bay aaron Rodgers is on an oblique u tour that's what he's on right now and he wants to cap it off with a super bowl like it just it seems like and the team around him is playing well so i think green bay the other one in the afc I'm having a hard time looking at Kansas City and how they kind of turn things around midseason and thinking, wow, maybe the, maybe they, maybe they got something here. We'll see. But I'm not counting out Cincinnati. Joe Burrow gets hot. Watch out. Well, and I'll flip the other side of okay. that is what kind of story would it be for the Raiders after the season they've had between <laughs> coaching and what's happened with certain players um, if they are able to advance? 
Yeah, no, good point. Uh, by the way, I, I did fail to note this. Um, Eric, I apologize. Eric, our good friend who produces the show as well. Uh, he says, how do you forget the number one Bengals fan in the world? Lundy. Uh, yeah, so Al Klumberg, our good friend. Yeah, that's true. So my bad. My bad, Eric. Yeah, but Lundy, we love Shout you. Shout out, Lundy. Yeah. We miss you. All right. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting. I'm with you, though. I, I actually like your point there. there. There could be more upsets this year in theory. I'd love nothing more than to see the Raiders make a run because the, what they've endured is absolutely incredible. And by the way, did you watch that Sunday night football game between them and the Chargers last week? I did not. Oh, I, Jeff. I, was, I was following it. Jeff, was, you missed out. I was, we had a tie coming. It. We could have seen the Chargers. And the Chargers decided to call that timeout, and then the Raiders like, hey, we've got to run a play. Then uh, Josh Jacobs busts a 10-plus yard run, gets him in the field goal range, they kick the field goal and win it. They well, were content. Following on a Twitter is a arguably better than watching the game itself. In some, some ways, yes. It, it sure seemed like the, the Raiders were content to take that tie and allow the Chargers to get into the playoffs, but then they called the timeout the Chargers did, and the Raiders like, okay, hey, we got to run a play. They get themselves in field goal range. Well, we're going to kick it anyway, so sorry, Chargers, get out. <laughs> I'd be curious to see what happens with Justin Herbert in the next couple of years just because he is so good. He's elite. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with him. He is I'm, really, I'm, really I'm interested. Good. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. All right, we will get to more of this later on in today's show. Coming up next, we're going to get to five minutes of talk some sake. Got college hoops out there. We got a lot still to cover ahead on today's edition of the Saturday show, so stay with us right here on 97.5 FM, 1280 AM, and the Zone Sports Network. It's a weekend! Let's go! It may be the weekend, but there are no days off for the Zone Sports Network. You're listening to the Saturday Show. Can't wait. Can't, 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 can't wait. It's all weekend, baby. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Jay Catch along for the ride on this Saturday morning. Hope you all are doing great out there wherever you might be, whether you're doing the honey-do list, you're just enjoying your Saturday morning, brunch, whatever it might be. Thanks for joining us here on the Saturday show, brought to you by our friends at Mountainland Supply. All right, we typically do this at the 1130 uh, segment, and we call it five minutes of, but we're going to play an extended conversation that Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov had with DJ and PK yesterday. We're going to play that in the 11 o'clock hour for you guys. So to make room for that, we are moving five minutes of up, and in five minutes of, we talk about some of the other topics that, in, I guess, shorter form that we have not touched on quite yet today. And Let's kick it off with our old standby, Saki. Cameroon storming now. They are going to put this one to bed. Who had the last touch there? I fancy Abubakar. There might have been a defender ahead of him, but he's going to claim it. Vatsa Abubakar with a second of the night. Cameroon with a third. There is a large roar now from the indomitable Lions. This is more like it from the home nation.
you go. Nice open, highlighting some of what happened in both soccer and hockey this week. Let's start off on the soccer front. Uh, Real Salt Lake is, uh, stunningly enough, Major League Soccer as a whole, <laughs> after what, six weeks off, they're getting back to action. <laughs> PK likes to make fun of it all the time, that the season goes forever. He ain't wrong, though. The season ended in December, and we're kicking off. Real Salt Lake has training. I think official team training begins tomorrow at the Zions Bank uh, training facility out there in Harriman. Whew, coming quick, folks, but they are moving it up this year. Uh, the World Cup is going to be played in November and December over there in Qatar. Uh, don't get me started on that farce, but uh, let's talk a little bit about Real Salt Lake for a moment. Uh, big news this week is team captain uh, Alex, uh, no, Alex, wow, Albert Rusnak. I'm thinking of our good friend Alex Lundberg, apparently, on the brain when it comes to Saki, but... Albert Rusnak saying a free agent deal with the Seattle Sounders. I uh, had RSL fans all up in arms. Well, uh, so, okay, Jeff, I know you have a vested interest in this. We're going to talk about that. I, but let's first off, uh, comments yesterday. So uh, Pablo Mastroeni, now the head coach of Real Salt Lake, officially official, made a done deal during the abbreviated offseason. He spoke to the media yesterday as part of a kind of a preview for the preseason camp, and he had some comments about Albert Rusnak, uh, the decision by Rusnak to go to Seattle. So let's let you hear those first, and then we'll react to that. Here you go. Yeah, no, obviously Albert has been a big player for this club, was was a big player for us last year. And uh, listen, as a technical staff, working diligently to find that replacement, and hopefully we do that sooner than later. Free agency is an interesting mechanism in, in pro sport. There's a ton of factors that go into bringing a player of Albert, his quality back to the group. Obviously, at the end of the day, it's, it's a free market, and th- there's so many factors that go into decisions like that. You know, I exchanged texts with Albert yesterday. He's excited to be in Seattle, and really now it's it's about moving forward and uh, finding a player that's going to come in and, and produce like like Albert did for our group. There's not an hour in the day that goes by where we're not in communication with players both abroad and throughout the league. We have uh, a few good targets, but again, the players abroad are in the middle of their season. It's a really tough window to get players, especially with with uh, time left on their contract. There's there's contractual issues that that arise. Players within the league of, of that caliber are obviously in a similar situation that Albert was in as a free agent. So we're working around the clock to make sure that we're doing our due diligence and, and, and making sure it would be a, the right fit. And then obviously having the opportunity to. to uh, to to secure a player and and I think I'm optimistic that we'll find that player um, before the season starts but again I think the most important part of this whole thing is to make sure we get the right fit and not hurry ourselves in in, in getting a player just to, to, just to fill that void there you go Pablo Mastroeni and he, he makes a good point there like they're, they're not gonna rush trying to find Albert's replacement it may take until the summer that they actually find that in the in the window uh, later on this year but he said they're gonna do their best to find somebody so Jeff my only thing about this is, is Albert and this is I, I trust me I, I talked to some people who said he was very happy being in Utah he enjoyed the lifestyle here that type of stuff but he is going to Seattle to rejoin the staff that includes Freddie Juarez, who bailed on RSL last season, midseason. Uh, and Albert seemed, and this is just my perception, I was watching the press conferences after Freddie Juarez's departure last year, he seemed actually very content with how uh, Pablo Mascheroni had gone about uh, revamping the lineup, the formations they were using. It just seems funny to me that you're going to, that Albert is going to Seattle. I know the money talks, I, I get all that, but just. So, very curious to me. What are your thoughts? Um, 
my first thought is, like I said off there, I need to behave myself right now because don't I say can, anything you will regret. Yeah, I need to behave myself. Um, so there's a, a tweet that I think perfectly summarizes my feelings. Okay, um, from Charles Bohm. The Sounders took RSL's VP slash general manager in 2015, took their head coach last year, and now they're taking their most accomplished player and only DP, Cold World. Yeah, in some ways it is. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm i not going to talk about the money. Okay. Um, I understand him wanting to play for a bigger market team and win trophies and and that kind of stuff. He kind of said as much when he was unveiled as a sounder player. He's like, I want to play in front of the biggest lights, best fans, win trophies, yada, yada. Sure. Um, so I get it to a degree. I had said this to one of my friends who's from Seattle who's a Sounders fan. Seattle won't love him as much as RSL fans will now hate him for leaving. Like, I... Maybe. <laughs> he... He... He's a, he was a staple of it. I mean, he was a captain, obviously, but... In, in action just as much in, in word and title and losing him I think is a big big loss for the team especially after nailing down Mastroeni getting an owner like it really seemed like we could really do something this year and replacing Rusnok is going to be one extremely difficult and this season is probably going to be another rebuild I mean who knows who knows what can happen but I feel like the season could very easily be another rebuild season where we're waiting to get that guy and once we get that guy to replace him we have to get him acclimated mm-hmm. um, obviously RSL has had some struggles in the last couple of years with getting foreign players and having them succeed there have been exceptions obviously Timur Kralik was great uh, Jefferson Savarino was great when he was here but we had a lot of busts and so it it could be a tough turnaround to get someone to replace Bruce knock and I'm it it hurts I'm I can't lie it hurts me it, it, we'll see it, it's just very interesting to me so uh Rouse Salt Lake has ma- been making a lot of moves this week they signed five academy players this week and set an MLS record it's one of the known I youngest to get to. yeah Axel K has been signed to a homegrown contract making him the youngest signing in major league soccer history some of you may recall Freddie Adu was 14 years old when he signed with DC United after being selected in the MLS super draft in 2004 well, Axel K, at 14 years and 15 days, he beats uh, Freddie Adu's record by 153 days. Pretty incredible. He's 11, almost 12 years younger than me, and I'm like, you've already accomplished more in your life than I have. He's also that stunningly young. tall for 14-year-olds. Oh, yeah. Four. Like, he looks... He's he's a he's a big boy. He also came off the bench for Real Monarchs last year in what is believed to be the youngest player to play in American team sports at 13 years of age. He's born in Ivory Coast, uh, went moved to Brazil where his father played soccer professionally, then moved to San Diego in 2017. Uh, crazy, crazy stuff. So we'll see. RSL uh, they kick off their season late next month. It's crazy to think that the season's going to start off in February, but. That's where we stand with the MLS season. Uh, a couple of notes on hockey real quick here before we move along is that the U.S. Olympic men's hockey team, obviously the NHL pulled out of the Olympics, so no NHL players will be headed to Beijing. Uh, the Olympics uh, kick off on February 3rd. USA Hockey in particular has gone back to the college ranks for its Beijing men's Olympic team. Uh, they have... In, they have named a roster that includes 15 current NCAA players from nine college programs, also eight professional players from European leagues, and then two players from the American Hockey League will fill out the rest of the team. So best of luck uh, to the men's hockey uh, 
the USA hockey team as they head to Beijing. And the other note is that the NHL All-Star Game rosters were revealed. Uh, it's a three-on-three format. I actually kind of I actually watched this last year. It's actually kind of intriguing. Kind of think of it if you're a rugby fan, you have 15-man rugby, you have seven-man rugby. This is just a much faster, lightning quick type of a game. It's actually pretty funny. It features four divisional teams from the Metropolitan, Metropolitan, Atlantic, Central, and Pacific divisions playing a three-on-three tournament. Uh, it'll be the first All-Star game since 2019-2020, and actually uh, does not have some of the bigger names in NHL, including, uh, if I saw, I saw correctly, I don't think that Sidney Crosby made it. I said the kid did not make it, but interesting uh, notes all the same on the hockey front. Uh, my uh, Seattle Kraken are just you know tethered to the bottom of the Pacific Division, so you know, I'm having a great time with hockey this year, let me tell you. Well, speaking of the Kraken, not to bring it back to uh-huh. soccer, but I mentioned my friend who's from Seattle uh-huh. who I have been talking to about this. He did say to me, he's like, well, if it makes you feel any better about Seattle taking Rusnok, the rest of our professional teams suck, so <laughs> we, we have to have something going for us. I, I guess so, but interesting notes all the same. All right, a couple other notes. Is college hoops tonight. Uh, the BYU Cougars were absolutely trounced by Gonzaga on Thursday night, 110-84. to uh, Funny enough, I thought uh, BYU had one of their best games offensively of the season, but when you allow a team to score 110 points on you, it's not going to turn out the way you want it to. Uh, BYU will be looking to bounce back in a big showdown in the West Coast Conference tonight, 9 o'clock, when they take on USF. USF, the Dons, are one of the other big teams in the WCC this year. They're off to a 15-2 and start. Uh, going to be interesting to see how they perform. Utah also in action. They are headed to the desert, to Tucson, to the McHale Center, to take on sixth-ranked the Arizona Wildcats. Arizona 13-1 and on the season. Utah dead last in the Pac-12 right now with a 1-5 record. Be a pretty phenomenal upset if they were able to spring the upset there. Uh, Utah will be back in action on Monday after a rescheduled game against Arizona State, uh, taking on the Sun Devils Monday afternoon. Uh, Utah State game you'll be able to hear here on The Zone tonight. They're hosting Wyoming at the D. Glenn Smith, D. Glenn Smith Spectrum up there in Logan. The Aggies 10-6, uh, and 1-2 and in Mountain West Conference play after losing to Colorado State on Thursday. On Wednesday night, uh, the Cowboys, they have had their COVID issues. They have not played a Mountain West Conference game yet, but they are 11-2 and two on the season. So this one seems to be like it could be a pretty good game. Uh, that game is scheduled to tip off at 7 o'clock Mountain Time. Uh, Scott Gerard will obviously have the call for you guys, beginning with pregame coverage at 6.30 right here on the Zone Sports Network. And the nice part is no jazz tonight, so it's going to be on both signals. So there's a big opportunity uh, for the Aggies to be heard all around the Wasatch front and Scotty G's dulcet tones to be heard as well. So some college uh, hoop notes there. And I also saw this this morning. Uh, Alex Barcelo, BYU star player, probably should talk about this when we talked about the Cougars. Well, Jay Bielas, who called the game against uh, Gonzaga for BYU Thursday night, he called Alex Barcelo, and this is the quote, the best shooter in college basketball this year. Pretty some high praise because there's some pretty decent shooters out there. But he called Alex Barcelo, BYU star senior guard, the best shooter in the country this year. Very interesting note there uh, to see that from Jay Bielos. All right. All right. Well, uh, we meant to talk a little more about the Utah Jazz here, but we are out of time. We'll fit that in a little bit later on. Uh, we have the comment from Donovan Mitchell that we talked about in our first segment. 
with regards to what uh, Rudy Gobert had to say uh, in terms of playing defense, all that stuff. We'll get to that at some point during today's show. But coming up next, we are going to get to one of our other staples here on the show, and that is our technical fouls segment. Talking about people who behaved badly in sports and beyond. We'll get to all of that next, right here on the Saturday Show. If you're coming from the street with dirty shoes on your feet, that's a technical foul. If you switch the radio to some modern music show, that's a technical foul. If you touch the thermostat, you'll get hit with a bat. Cause that's a technical foul. You will feel my wrath. That's a technical foul. Personal foul, 69, offense. He was giving them the business. A technical foul. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network, brought to you by our friends over at Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, excuse, plumbing, if I can get that word out of my mouth, landscaping irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. All right, time for technical fouls here, where we talk about people who have been dumb. And I want to start off with one. David Coley was fired by the Houston Texans earlier this week after one, count them, one season on the job with the Houston Texans. Uh, the good news for David Coley is apparently he has got three more years and $17 million that are guaranteed to him from the Texans. So he's making out like a bandit money wise. But here's the thing. The Houston Texans are in all kinds of turmoil. They have had to uh, tell their owner to shut up about certain things that he's spoken out on. They have had to fire GMs. They have uh, had issues with their star quarterback, Deshaun Watson, and 22 uh, massage therapists who uh, allegedly he sexually assaulted. All kinds of things have been going on with this team. They bring in David Coley when other people would not touch this job with a 10-foot pole last year. And in theory, we're going to give him a chance to get them back on... A winning path. They went four and thirteen, which is not a great record. Let's be clear about that. It's not a good franchise. JJ Watt, one of the best defensive players in the NFL, bailed on the franchise after years and years of hoping they would pull through. And then you go and whack David Coley after a year on the job. It makes no sense to me. It just and if you're a coach, I know that Jared Mayo, the linebackers coach in the New England Patriots, Nick Casero, who comes from the Patriots, have a connection. And they're saying that he's one of the favorites to get this job. And, and if I'm Jared Mayo, I'm like, um, you just whacked this dude after a year on the job. Who's to say I'm not going to be the next guy out the door? It just it it screams to me just a bad deal and technical foul on the Houston Texans. First off, we live in a world of instant gratification. I get that. Yeah, like. You need to be successful instantaneously, which I'm I'm a big proponent of at least two years for a player or a coach, whoever, but that's just not really the world that we live in. Yeah, so it just it, it was so weird to me. Um, so I just, I don't know. I I, I I look at it, I'm like, okay, what is going on here? Now, other things, uh, staying in the NFL uh, realm. Uh, Jeff, who's your NFL team, by the way? Do you have an NFL team? You know my NFL oh, team. you're a Pats fan. I forgot. Stupid Pats. <laughs> uh, well, you can rub it in my face when we most likely lose tonight. <laughs> We'll see. I don't know. I'm real. I'm a fan, but I'm still realistic. Uh, uh, sticking with uh, uh, some notes up in uh, the Great White North, as I like to call it. Uh, this is in Edina, Minnesota. Edina, Edina. I don't know. A quick-thinking mother and a good Samaritan thwarted would thwarted off would-be carjackers in Edina. Um, so attacking a parent from a pickup at preschool is one of the more vulnerable we have in our community. Robert Blanton said. Uh, Blanton runs Kitty Academy in Edina with his wife. Uh, Blanton played for the Minnesota. 
Minnesota Vikings from 2012 to 2015. Adina police say that Wednesday around 4 p.m., a woman was confronted by two men outside of the Kitty Academy. Uh, one of the men demanded her keys, to which she complied. Police say that the woman then grabbed her purse and ran toward the locked entrance of the facility. Bland was inside with his daughter at the time. He could see the woman struggling with the carjacker. He said, I just bolted out the door, was the quote. When Bland got outside, the suspect ran and jumped into a vehicle where the other carjacker was waiting. I was trying to pull him out and slam the door on his leg, Blanton said. Uh, from out, uh, outdoor surveillance, you can hear Blanton yelling at the men to get out of the vehicle. Uh, Blanton said they tried running him over until he had let, let go. Then the suspect drove away. The suspect vehicle had been taken to a carjacking earlier in the day in Richfield. It was found later abandoned uh, near St. Louis Park. Uh, there were no weapons involved. No one was hurt in the incident. But uh, I got to say, technical foul on these young on these men to attack a woman who's dropping off her kid at preschool. But a tip of the cap to Mr. Blanton for stepping in. I agree. The world has a lot of bad people in it, and everybody has to do their part to step up. And, you know, I'm... <laughs> Overkill is underrated. If you're gonna go after him, go after him right. It sounds like he was trying to try to make a point. Okay, and not to bring it too close to home, but I, so I live in Utah County in, in Saratoga Springs, and we had a string of uh, cars that were breaking into cars in our neighborhood. Uh, Jeff, we have uh, in my neighborhood at one time we had uh, police officers representing five different agencies along the Wasatch Front living in my neighborhood, um, and they still came into our neighborhood. And we're still breaking into cars. They decided, and the funny thing about the story is, the one house they broke into is a guy who's former police officer, uh, and they broke into his house, broke into his house. They got into his garage. He realized what's going on. Um, Get off my lawn. Oh, yeah. This dude laid down the law on these young men, and uh, police pursued him and whatnot. We have not had issues since then. That's, just, that's the positive news out of all of this. And hopefully we don't have issues going forward, but they picked the wrong house to break into. I can just tell you that much. Uh, the young man probably will never recover from that incident because the, the man I'm talking about, and if he's listening to the show, he knows exactly. Uh, he, he's a big dude. And I'm talking big just in terms of, I would not want to meet this guy in a dark corner or a dark alleyway. Let's just put it that way. And he, they broke into his house. Yeah, it did not go down well let's put it that way they and they got away luckily with relatively unscathed he did land a few blows to those punks hopefully they learned their lesson oh, and have changed their ways i hope and i'm just saying it, tell their friends who are also they're robbers good, to not there there are good people out there let's be clear about that all right um uh, one other thing here uh this goes to the nba world and jeff if you have anything we'll get to this after this russell westbrook obviously a lightning rod with the los angeles lakers this was absolutely hilarious to me uh he's been averaging 7.7 points per game on just 20 percent shooting including 0 of 6 from beyond the three-point arc over his last three outings uh, the Los Angeles Lakers point guard was trolled by the Sacramento Kings, uh, a franchise that's not winning the playoffs since 2006. Their own streak of futility, which is awful. The Kings trolling Westbrook, I think, is just... It is funny, yes. Oh, my gosh. Well, so uh, they played the song Cold as Ice to troll Russell Westbrook. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And every NBA franchise that now plays Russell Westbrook should be make this part of this. I'm advocating for the Utah Jazz to do this. They should absolutely do this. Well, the NBA stepped in and said that they can't do that. Boo to you, NBA, for saying that you can't play cold as ice. Who's to say that the that 
other NBA teams are not going to try and find something similar, but not the same song, just to troll Russell Westbrook going forward. It's not offensive. It's not harmful. It's banter. That's and it's what hilarious. the NBA is. So it is there's utterly hilarious. If that was against a smaller market, lesser known player, then the NBA wouldn't step in and do anything. Well, let's actually say if it had been the reverse, like the Lakers trolling the Kings, and I don't know why the Lakers would troll the Kings. Yeah, I, I'm with Nobody you. needs to troll the Kings. It'd probably be a little different uh, circumstance, it feels like. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, they're, it's, I don't, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, do you have any technical fouls, Jeff? I forgot to ask you before. You no. Okay. The only technical foul in my head is Roos not leaving for Seattle, which we already talked about. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Uh, coming up next, part one of the conversation David James and Patrick Kinahan had with Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov. A great conversation. Covered a whole lot in their nearly 30 minutes uh, talking with the Pac-12 Commissioner about his job, what he expects for the conference moving forward. We'll get to all of that next as we kick off Hour two of the Saturday show right here on the Zone Sports Network. Whether you're stuck at the mall, in the yard, or making a quick trip to the home improvement store, we've got your back. It's gonna be May. This is the Saturday show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. In a metal mood today, Jeff. <laughs> All right, I like it. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Uh, we are brought to you by our friends at Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. All right, uh, we are going to get to a conversation with George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, here momentarily. He was on with DJ and PK yesterday morning. Uh, really, really good conversation. Covered a lot of ground. First things first, something I failed to note earlier on on today's show, I just, uh, on a humanitarian note, want to express my uh, best wishes to the people of Tonga uh, down there in the South Pacific. An absolutely huge volcanic eruption. I guess it would be earlier this morning for us here on the Wasatch Front. It was like daytime for them. Crazy, crazy stuff. The satellite imagery of it, just a gigantic explosion. There are pictures of tsunamis washing ashore in Nuku'alofa, which is the capital of Tonga, uh, which is, I think, they said 65 kilometers just south, uh, excuse me, north of where this eruption took place. Crazy, crazy stuff. I've seen warnings uh, for tsunamis all around the Pacific Rim, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, my wife, who is an Orange County native, actually just texted me and said that the Orange County area, the coastal regions uh, for San Diego, et cetera, in Southern California are under tsunami warning, et cetera. So uh, thoughts and prayers and best wishes to the people down there in Tonga. Uh, just scary, scary scenes. Yeah, that's really scary. That's why we all got to take care of each other. We do, yeah. So, uh, and obviously the people of Tonga are like the really coolest people out there. Um, Oh, Clint, uh, just asking me, who is that producer? Uh, Jeff, introduce yourself to Clint. Clint, that's Jeff. (laughs) My name is Jeff. (laughs) I think you've heard Jeff, Clint, I'm just saying. All right, uh, time now to hear from George Klyovkov. We're going to do this in two parts. They went uh, So DJ and PKA yesterday went for 30 minutes with George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, covered a lot of ground. And 
I work with David and Patrick on a day-to-day basis, and they're dear friends of mine. They, in my opinion, are the best when it comes to interviews like this. They they hit topics that people want to know about. Uh, They cover a lot of ground. They they work off each other extremely well, covering all bases. Great conversations with George Klyovkov. Let's hear part one now. We'll get to part two in our next segment. So here you go. George Klyovkov, Pac-12 commissioner with DJ and PK yesterday, right here on the Zone Sports Network. Commissioner, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on. You've done a lot of these interviews. You talked to a lot of people. You came through town and did a, uh, a tour and met with a lot of media up at the University of Utah when you're here. You've done that in other towns. So a lot of these questions go towards, you know, what's wrong with the Pac-12 and how can it be fixed and how can the reputation be upgraded? And before we get into all of that, and we will, I'm curious how much of what has gone wrong, what needs to be fixed, can be done by the Pac-12 commissioner and the conference office, and what percentage is on the schools? Because obviously the TV contract matters, and that's not something a coach can control. But obviously, hiring good coaches, assistant coaches, and, and bringing in talented recruits is not on the conference office. So what is the, the balance here? How much of this is on your plate? Yeah, listen, I think it's, it's probably 80-20, probably 80% of the, uh, the decisions that lead to football success uh, happen on the campus and not at the conference. But 20% is an important 20%, right? We, we have to be better about providing a better platform when we renegotiate our media rights. And, and that's related to revenue. It's related to distribution. It's related to competitive advantage, deciding who gets to play at what time of the day for, you know, for highlighting for AP voters uh, and CFP voters on the East Coast. So we, we have a lot of work to do, but uh, the, the, the larger input to football success comes on the campus for sure. Commissioner, at least publicly, there seems to be a reluctance to want to come up with a format to expand the playoff. How much of that do you think is self-serving in terms of the conferences looking out for themselves and aren't really interested in going beyond what's best for them individually? I think everybody's trying to balance what's right for themselves and their conference with what's uh, right for college athletics and college football and it's a difficult balancing act and i think you know in the past uh folks have had the opportunity to kind of work through these issues in private and you know make the kind of accommodations for each other that are required to get to a yes and i think the mistake that we made in this process was we announced in june you know the month before i started a uh, proposal that came out of a subcommittee, which were four of the 11 members that have to say yes to change the format within the current term. And it was announced the same day that the other seven got to see it for the first time. And I think in the past, what has happened is all of these really difficult discussions that have been going through the last seven months have happened privately, not in the press. (laughs) And, And then once you come to a solution, you announce it and everybody is delighted. I think we've missed that the fans' expectations back in June, but this is a process that I uh, that has happened from what I've, I've, has been shared with me by the other commissioners every single time we've done this, right? There's a negotiation, you get to the right answer, it takes time. Uh, this time we just happen to be doing it in the press, which I think is, is, a, is a bad idea and I hope we don't do it again. Certainly an expanded playoff would bring in more money. Nobody doubts that, and that alone will probably ensure that it happens one day sooner, not later. But the whole competitive aspect of college football, I don't know that that changes, and I don't know that 
league's reputations change. Alabama and Georgia won semifinal games in blowouts. And most of the playoff semifinals since we went to a four-team tournament here, have been blowouts. So putting in teams 5 through 12 seems to say, well, we're going to have some more lopsided games. How will that change the Pac-12's image? Will it be, you know, if you, if you can't win those games and you're going out early or getting blown out by whoever is as good as Alabama or Georgia, it's going to be like the basketball tournament where there's some level of satisfaction in saying we were Sweet 16 or we are Elite 8 or we were Final Four. How's that going to work? Well, I, I think basketball is actually a really good analogy for why it will work uh, once you expand CFP. I think the you know the issue with a four-team playoff is if you were good in one of the early years of the four-team playoff, it becomes a lot easier to recruit five and four-star athletes and to get back there again. And I think you see that as kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because the teams that were good in the early years of the CFP got – uh, higher recruited players, they were able to get back. And now the vast majority of the CFP invitations have gone to four or five schools. And if we would have had a similar kind of structure in basketball, I think you would have never seen a team like Gonzaga be able to get into that mix. Right? It was the fact that you had 64 and then 68 teams uh, in the mix for basketball that allowed kids who wanted to go to Gonzaga to say, you know, I will get to play in my championship. I may not be the top four, the top eight team, you know, on the first or second line of the NCAA tournament when I get in, but at least I'm going to be playing in the tournament. And that allowed them to, over time, build a program, which is now a top 10 program. And I think that's what happens. I think when you have more access, uh, kids are broader in how they think about where I can go to school and still participate for a national championship. And then it takes time, but that over time allows for a much more democratic spread of the talent across college football. Commissioner, that leads me right into my next question. I have to say, I must applaud you first on being willing to address the realities rather than just basically blow smoke over them. And you've been great. And I was at the Pac-12 title game and you were downstairs giving the press conference and you spoke openly about keeping kids that are growing up into the Pac-12 communities local and rather than having to go out. I, I'm, a, I'm a Phoenix kid myself, went to Arizona State, and I can recite all the kids who Who've left. I mean, they just get nobody. Basically, Keely Ringo, who makes the interception for Georgia to seal it, goes to Saguaro, which is right there in the Phoenix area, coached by a coach who has legendary ASU roots, the defensive coordinator. He and his brothers played at ASU, and nevertheless, the kid goes to Georgia. I can't blame them, but you spoke openly about how we have to fix that. Now, my thought for you is we all agree something has to be done, but what are the tangible things that can be done to prevent this from happening because so much of the talent, I just use Arizona because that's a local example. Bryce Young, who threw the pass, is from Pasadena. Obviously, California is a massive amount of talent. What can be done at the conference level and the individual level to prevent this from happening at such a widespread rate that it is? Yeah, we have, we have so much talent in our footprint. You know, the, the starting quarterbacks at the beginning of the season – at Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State and Clemson, Clemson. Um, you know, and Oklahoma, we're all from our footprint, right? Yep. It, it, yes. it, it can't happen. So, listen, there's, there's two ways to, I think, turn, turn the tide of recruiting. Well, one is by taking shortcuts, and the other is by making investments. And our, 
our league is not about taking shortcuts. I mean, we just don't do that. Um, so we have to focus on investments. And I think those investments come in many different forms, but, but, but let's look at two of them, right? Facilities and coaching hires. And I think you've seen in the past couple of years, and particularly in, the, in this past couple of months, significant um, investments in our football program. So obviously, yeah, you guys are very familiar with um, the, the beautiful remodel at Rice-Eccles and all the money that was put into that to, to make that the stadium it is today. You know, Oregon State pressed the button and exploded the west side of their stadium uh, last week, and they're rebuilding that with $90 million in private funds. Well, Oregon announced in uh, October, I believe it was, uh, a 170,000 square foot football practice facility. It'll be the greatest practice facility in the country. Um, you saw the investment in coaches, Washington State, Washington, o- Oregon, right? The defensive coordinator from Georgia, who, whose team gave up, I think it was, you know, something like 13 passing and rushing touchdowns in 15 games this year. And he's now going to be the head coach at Oregon. Obviously, Lincoln Riley at USC. I mean, there are big investments in football going on across our, our footprint, and that's what's going to get the kids to want to come. And you've already seen five-star kids that had previously committed elsewhere recommit to Pac-12 schools. You've seen kids that were considering other places now in the transfer portal coming back to us. And I think that's going to continue. And I think the investment by one school, I mean, USC and Lincoln Riley is a great example. I think the investment by USC and Lincoln Riley and his coaching staff will have benefits not just for USC, but for, for all of our schools. I think it, uh, you know, kind of the tide that rises all boats. Well, you can talk shortcuts and you can talk investments. Uh, when you say shortcuts, I immediately think of schools cheating and kids getting paid. And PK and I have been doing this for a long time, and we've heard specific stories about people getting 50, 75, 100 grand. And, and coaches off camera, off mic, just laying out who got what. One coach telling us a player who's now in the NBA getting 25 grand for home visits. Just to be, say you're one of the finalists, 25 grand. And they tell us in a way, think, well, this is going on. Now, name, image, and likeness brings all this above board and into the sunlight. And I don't consider name, image, and likeness a shortcut. Maybe you do, and you could expand on that. But I think the conference is going to have to expand on that. Not only a lot of, of, of possibilities for star players, but stuff that's spread all across the roster for everybody so the players who are developing stay at these schools two or three years and develop. Man, that, yeah, there's 50 ways to go with that question. Go any way you'd like. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, as a, as a conference, we're in favor of name, image, and likeness, right? It never made sense to me that if you were a music scholarship student, you could have a YouTube channel and make money off of your name, image, and likeness. But if you did that as a college athlete, you'd lose your eligibility. That just doesn't make sense. There have to be some guardrails. And the guardrails that I think everybody agrees on is that name, image, and likeness the amount you get paid has to be tied to actual work you do and the use of your name, image, and likeness. And it can't be used for inducement or pay for play, right? It can't be used as a payment to go to one school over another school or, or to play in the games. And we're seeing that happening. And it, it's so bad that you saw, you know, both Nick Saban and Kirby Smart before the national championship game in their press conferences particularly call out what a problem and an issue this is for college football. And, uh, you know, the, the problem is that there's no national legislation 
We have a patchwork of state laws that differ from state to state. The NCA has um, not done any enforcement here. And they basically said, if you comply with your state law, you won't lose your eligibility of your student athlete. And by the way, if you're in a state that has no state law, you can do anything you want in name, image, and likeness and not lose your eligibility. So in some respects, it's better to be in a state that has no state law because, you know, you, you're just, you can do whatever you want. And until we have federal legislation or national enforcement of no inducement and no pay for play, uh, it's the Wild West. And the stories that you've heard, I hear every day. Uh, I know it's happening. Uh, I've talked to the other A5 commissioners about how we can work together to try and solve that issue. Um, but I think we're stuck with it until we get some federal legislation or national enforcement. So are the late start times just a fact of life, given the fact of where we are in the country and we're in the West and mountain and time, a specific time zone? And can we do anything about it? Yeah, one of the, one of the greatest strengths as a conference is, uh, unlike the other Power Five conferences, we don't have geographic competition as a Power Five. You know, we have all of the Power Five schools in the mountain and Pacific time zones. That's going to be true until BYU joins the Big 12. Um, so that provides a unique opportunity. If you're a television network, you want to program primetime West Coast games uh, that are Power 5 games. And the Pac-12 is your only alternative to provide those quality games in that time uh, kind of frame. And for us, what that means is we get paid more to play a game at you know 7 or 8 p.m. West Coast than if we played that same game earlier in the day. And the, the revenue is important, but we have to balance that revenue against competitive advantage and against national exposure. Obviously, if 75% of the population that lives in the central uh, and eastern time zone is asleep by halftime, that's not good for Heisman voting. It's not good for CFP or AP voting. It's not good for um, you know just the, the popularity of our schools and the brand building we need to do. So there are creative ways to trade that off. In our next media rights deal, if I had to guess, we would agree to play those games, but I think we'd want a little bit more control over which teams are playing in those games during what part of the season. Because right now we have no control. ESPN and Fox, who are our great partners, have the right to basically tell us, sometimes with six days notice or 13 days notice, these are the teams we want to play in that late game. And you know, it ends up obviously being our best teams. And those are the teams that we want to be able to highlight nationally, where those are the players who are eligible for a Heisman Trophy vote that we want to highlight. And, you know, I think historically, you know, David Shaw will tell you, I think he's been public about the fact that he thinks Stanford lost two Heisman Trophies because of those late games. So, you know, we, we have to work on the structure and get a little bit more flexibility, uh, but I don't think we're not going to play those games because they're valuable. Having lived in California, I think they're not only valuable for TV, I think that a large portion of the fan base likes primetime West Coast football. And 8.30 is a little awkward for this time zone, but 7.30 works great if you're in L.A. or San Francisco. So I don't 
I don't think you can completely run from that. I wonder if you can get a balance where your two best teams or the Heisman candidates are playing in the second or third TV window. Uh, two games that probably feature the middle of the league are in the late night window unopposed, and two games are on the Pac-12 network, and they probably involve teams that aren't going to be bowl eligible or teams that are last in their division, that kind of stuff. Is, is that kind of balance, are you going to be capable of getting that kind of deal? Yeah, again, everything is a trade-off, right? If, if you're willing to accept a little bit less revenue, the networks will give you a little bit more flexibility. And the great news is there are partners. They want our league to be successful, and they understand those challenges. So we'll work on that as part of the media rights negotiation. I will say that um, you know, playing in primetime for a television audience is great. I do hear, and I think it's a real concern from some of our schools, that it's difficult for fan attendance and for building kind of a family tradition of, you know, the kids yeah. come into the games their entire childhood when, when you have those late games. And that's particularly true for some of our schools where more of their fan base, you know, it, you got to drive 90 minutes from Portland to get to Corvallis. And, you know, that, that that's an issue. And when the game ends at 1030 or 11, you know, that, that that's, that's different than if the game ends, you know, late afternoon. So it's all a balance. We'll, we'll work through all of these. I mean, the, the great news about all of this is the athletic directors, the presidents and chancellors who make up my board and are my bosses uh, and the conference office are all 100% aligned in what we're trying to achieve and will be collaborative about figuring out solutions. There you go. Part one with George Klyovkov. Very interesting comments, I thought, in particular right there as talking about like the late start times. The Pac-12 under... Uh, previous administrations, I guess we'll call it, really just ceded all control to the TV networks. And most of the conferences have this, but the Pac-12, when they go back to renegotiate these deals, they do need to uh, figure out how they can uh, better place games later in the season, better time slots, all that stuff. You're never going to get rid of 8.30 starts. Let's be clear about that. 8 o'clock, 8.30 starts are going to be part of the foreseeable future for this conference, but can you get some of those bigger games? Can you move them to a 6 o'clock Mountain Time start where you can see them more readily along the East Coast? We all know that the East Coast bias exists out here and it needs to be dealt with. And I think that's actually something that Klyovkov, he's very, very clear about and he understands they've got to do something to battle that. All right, we'll get to part two of that conversation. You'll hear the rest of the conversation. Some interesting thoughts on what the alliance, uh, so what the alliance is, it's a conglomeration of the Pac-12 the Big Ten and the ACC banding together, in essence, to fight against the influence that the SEC has over the sport as a whole currently in college football. We'll let you hear more about that. That's coming up next in part two of our conversation, or DJ and PK's conversation, with George Klyovkov right here on the Zone Sports Network. Network, excuse me. Let's go live. We talk jazz, utes, cougars, and Aggies, even on the weekend. Weekend. You're locked on to the Saturday show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Continuing on now, George Klyovkov with David James and Patrick Kinahan, DJ and PK in the morning, Monday through Friday here on the Zone Sports Network from 6 to 10 a.m., a show that I am uh, proud to call my day job, I guess what we call it, on on the station. I get to hang out with those guys every morning. It's so much fun. And 
it's never a dull moment with those two. Uh, if anybody knows them, you know that it's fun. But had a great conversation with Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov yesterday. Here is part two of that conversation. Talk more about the alliance, uh, what to expect as the Pac-12 tries to position itself for future success. Here you go, right? Uh, George Klyovkov with DJ and PK right here on the Zone Sports Network. With this alliance that has been created, as far as scheduling for football, what is your idea and what would you like to see be implemented and when as far as the non-conference scheduling, given the alliance or maybe even beyond that? Well, uh, you know, when I joined college athletics seven months ago, I joined with very little collegiate athletic experience and I was always a fan. Uh, but there are things that just never made sense to me. So, the, you know, the top of that list, it's a long list, but the top of that list about what doesn't make sense in college athletics is that we schedule co- college football games, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ahead of time, right? Uh, Utah has a home and away series with LSU in 2031 and 2032. How does that make sense? So, uh, the, the thought is, how do you make sure that you have teams to play that are quality teams that will lead to you know kind of great great matchups? If if you don't actually go and schedule those games and contract those games way in advance, particularly if everyone else is doing it, what teams are going to be left to play? So Nirvana, North Star for football scheduling for the Alliance is each of the three conferences eventually, and again, consistent with existing contractual obligations and consistent with the need to include the media partners in figuring this out, eventually we each get to a place where we've agreed to play eight conference games and one game against each of the other conferences every year. So Pac-12 teams would have eight conference Pac-12 games, one game against the ACC, one game against the Big Ten, one of them, those games would be home. The other would be away. That would switch from year to year. Uh, games 11 and 12, the athletic director and the football coach can schedule. They can make sure they have seven home games. They can make sure they have two games that are you know, not power five games, if that's what, if that's what they want. Um, and the amazing part, if our 12 teams know that they've got 12 games against the Big Ten and 12 games against the ACC, is you don't have to schedule those years in advance. You wait till the end of the previous season. You look at matchups for next season, and you schedule those matchups. And it allows you to be much more dynamic about creating great product. You can, if, if two brothers are playing on on different teams in different leagues, you can match up those two teams. If there's a great bowl matchup that you know goes into triple overtime, and you want to have a rematch of that bowl the following season, you can do that. You can really be made for television. The other thing that you could achieve is and one of the coaches say, says, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to recruit a kid in Michigan. I want to play, you know, in, in the state of Michigan next year, you, you can, to some extent, make those kind of things happen. So again, I just, I just think there's lots of examples of this for me, the, the best example, I, I was an ACC kid. I was a Virginia guy. I, I remember the excitement of the ACC big 10 basketball challenge where the announcement about who you were going to play came out, you know, a couple months before, not years before. And we, we can achieve that same thing in football, I think. Um, lots of hurdles to get there. It'll be several years, but I think eventually we'll get there. George Klavkov joining us, Pac-12 commissioner. One thing that would help more exposure with the league is if there were more networks and more TV windows, part of the alliance and the 
scheduling out the championship is to uh, create uh, championship opportunities for other networks. Is CBS going to get into college football? And not just with the one window they have with the SEC, but when that deals up, will they be televising two or three games every Saturday? Because obviously that would open some opportunities for the Pac-12. Yeah, I don't want to talk about any specific networks um, because we've talked to all of them and I don't want to disclose any anything you know, that, that's confidential. What I will tell you is in a world where less and less people are getting their video product on um, the satellite and cable every year and where you know, over-the-top the direct-to-consumer services are popping up every day and competing against each other uh, for, for subscribers and where you know, every piece of glass connected to the Internet is now a device where you can watch you know, a game, um, there are you know, a lot of folks who want the content that we have to sell. And when our media rights come up for renegotiation, we're going to have multiple bidders for every tier of our rights because it's such a valuable product. There's no more valuable video product than live sports. It, it attracts the right demographic, by the way, particularly Pac-12. Uh, our, our alumni uh, are higher net earners than, you know, kind of any other group. Uh, it, 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 it allows you to run commercials that are more valuable because it's live. People are less likely to fast forward through commercials. They're watching that programming live and they see the commercials. It aggregates large audiences, right? More than 90 of the top 100 watch television programs last year were sporting events. Um, so it, everything about it uh, indicates that it's the most valuable programming, and it's programming that is generally sold somewhat exclusively uh, for, for the tier one product. So we're, we're gonna have a line of people um, wanting to buy the product, and it's gonna include lots of television networks, not, not just our existing partners. I believe before you took this job, Commissioner, that you did extreme deep diligence and did deep dives on everything. And you had certain things that you felt like had to have happened in order for you to say yes, because you knew full well of all the issues that you were getting into. I mean, it, and it went crazy as you've, you've spoken on Twitter, you know, within what days you had the Big 12 with the two teams leaving to the SEC. And now you probably couldn't have predicted that maybe. But I'm wondering for you, as far as the financial investment, because I've been looking and reading other interviews that you do. I spent 23 years in newspapers, so I always scour the internet every day as far as that goes. And I saw some interviews that you did in terms of wanting the presidents and chancellors to make that financial commitment necessary. Did you have that set up that, okay, if I take this job, these are the things that I need you to do? You understand what I'm saying? Sort of be in it to win it, so to speak. Well, what I, what I would say is um, during the interview process, uh, I was so sure I wasn't getting the job that I, I thought I could be incredibly transparent with the presidents and chancellors who were interviewing me, right? And I kind of laid it all on the line, and I said, listen, I, you know, we're the, we're the conference of champions. You know, we've won more NCAA titles in 54 of the last 60 years, and each, each of the last 16 years than any other conference, and that's great. But the economic engine that drives college athletics and allows us to invest in all of those other sports is, you know, 70% football, 30% men's basketball. And um, we have not won a uh, championship in those two sports in 17 years. And I think in order to be successful in everything we do and to continue to support 
thousands of student athletes and give away all these scholarships and build the facilities that support all these other uh, Olympic sports. And uh, we, we need to be good in those two sports. And I, I didn't have the answers, and I'm not sure I have all of the answers yet. But I, I certainly said that to the presidents and chancellors when I were, was interviewing, and they all agreed. And for me, I wasn't asking for specific financial commitments, or but, but just the ethos in the room was, yeah, like we have to be good in those two sports. And it will be a building process, right? It, 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 it's a long climb out of the valley that we're in, but we'll get there. And there's a, there's a certain cyclical nature of this stuff, but, but it is 17 years. And, um, you know, they, they were all aligned with that as part of the priorities that I was saying I would bring you to the conference. And when I was announced in May, again, two, two and a half months before I actually took the job, it was one of the four kind of pillar priorities for the league to be good in football and good in men's basketball. And I wouldn't have said that if I didn't think the presidents were aligned with me. George Klavka, Pac-12 commissioner, joining us. Uh, the Pac-12 basketball tournament, they've tried L.A. and they've tried Las Vegas, and I think everybody thinks Las Vegas is better. The football game just drew over 50,000 in Vegas LA's got a brand new stadium and you're playing in the bowl game in there. Oregon State was there year one against Utah State. At some point, do you need to try LA or do you think the Pac-12 title game is a Vegas event and it, it needs to stay in Vegas and grow? Well, we, we have another year on our existing deal to play at Allegiant Stadium in Vegas. Yeah, I, I was kind of on the other side of that deal because my previous job at MGM Resorts in Vegas, we, we, we helped bring both the basketball tournament and the football championship game to Vegas. And I was you know sitting on the other side of the table for those negotiations. I, I think Vegas is a great spot, but we're not counting out any other opportunities. SoFi Stadium is amazing. Uh, you know, the Jimmy Kimmel Los Angeles Bowl was, was really fun. Uh, and that's a terrific venue. Um, but, you know, I, I don't want to like say we're committed one place or another, right? The cities benefit from having us there. And there's a little bit of a bidding opportunity uh, for the conference. And we'll go through that when we're ready to extend to the next set of football championship games. And um, we'll certainly look at other places. But I, I can't say enough good things about how Allegiant Stadium and the Raiders and Las Vegas have treated us uh, both in basketball and football. What's your good instinct, Commissioner, on the actual parameters of the playoff? My gut instinct is that we're going to expand. My gut instinct is that it's going to be 12. Could, could be eight, although the SEC has very clearly said, we're, you know, we're not going, we're not going to vote in favor of eight, only 12. Um, I, you know, I, I think the interesting thing is if you focus on uh, what we need to change it in the current 12-year term, right, that runs through 2025, um, you need unanimous consent of all 11 folks in the room. And that has proven to be really, really difficult. Um, you know, there are other issues, but the format is the big issue, and there's not a single format that has 11 yes votes. Um, if you focus on, well, the contract ends at the end of the current term, and in year 13 and beyond, we currently have zero commitment to each other. Like, there's, there's, there's no grant of rights. There's, there's, there's no contract beyond year 12. There's nothing. So there's a group, a subgroup of that 11 that could say, hey, from year 13 and beyond, we want to have this structure and this format. 
And then the others who are not part of that conversation or who originally said no to a particular format would have to make a decision about whether or not to join the group. How many need to be in that group and who needs to be in that group, I think is up for debate. Uh, you know, I, would, I consider the Pac-12 to be one of the people that would have to be part of that group to, to make it, um, you know, a, a legitimate enough playoff that others would have to decide whether or not to join. But, um, you know, that, that's the way to focus. The way to focus is what does it look like beyond year 12? And then once you have that format set up for beyond year 12, since by definition it's going to be more access for everybody, I think it's pretty, pretty easy to say, hey, can we shoehorn that in for years 11 and 12 as well? And people will say yes. But we've been focused for most of the last you know, seven months on what can we get 11 people to say yes to? And I just think we're at a point where we have to stop having that conversation because it's clear we're not getting there. There you go, George Klyovkov. If you want missed any part of that conversation, you want to hear the entirety and in a full run, follow DJ and PK on whichever podcast service you happen to use. If you're an iTunes user, Spotify, there's a million of them out there. Just search out DJ and PK in the morning, and it'll be right there for you guys. A fantastic conversation and very interesting. Right at the end there, Jeff, did you hear that? We have no agreement beyond year 12 of the college football playoff. There's nothing that binds these Power 5 conferences. That's some posturing. That, that's him posturing, saying, you guys think you're just going to roll over us. We'll, we'll show you. I don't know. Interesting stuff. I, I was intrigued by that. And David, uh, DJ brought that up a little bit after the, after the interview wrapped up yesterday. He's like, well, that's some power politics there. And he's not he's not wrong. And I understand why Klyovkov is doing this. I also really liked during that interview, um, Klyovkov talking about the fact that when he was interviewing for this job, he thought he had no shot apparently to get it. So he's just shooting from the hip and just laying it out there for people like, all right, this is what I think the Pac-12 needs to do. Telling these commissioner, the, telling the chancellors and these presidents, this is what I think you guys should do. And all, all of a sudden he gets the job and he's like, was it something I said? <laughs> it's kind of funny to hear him talk. He, he, he just thought he was going to go into this interview. He's going to lay out what he thought they needed to do because he probably thought that I'm not a guy who's ever been in athletic administration. He's been in the sports realm for years. He worked with MGM and their properties to schedule stuff. You actually heard him talk about he was on kind of the opposite side of getting the Pac-12 title game to play at Allegiant Stadium, but he didn't think he was going to get that job. And I actually think in some ways that may have been what Pac-12 folks needed to hear is having somebody come in and just kind of fire at them, this is what you need to fix, X, Y, Z, and just lay it out for them. They're like, oh, this guy's got something for us, rather than saying something that makes them feel good, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. Growth doesn't live in a comforting space. No. Oh, I like that. Growth does not live... Jeff, with all the wisdom here on today's Saturday show. All right. So there you go. Uh, George Klyovkov, an incredible conversation. I When I heard, when we were doing it yesterday, I'm like, I'm playing this on tomorrow's show. It's, it's very clear. So uh, it was very fun to hear from him and get him on our airwaves here in Utah. I uh, hope that will be the first of many times that he'll be doing that. And we'll have more of those conversations. And we will wrap up today's show next. Uh, a lot of comments, a lot of different things out there on social media. We'll get to all of that coming up momentarily right here on the Saturday show. The weekend is here and we're breaking down the teams that you're passionate about. Oh, really? This is the Saturday show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Thanks for joining us here on this Saturday. We are here every Saturday from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Uh, essentially just scratching that sports radio fix for you guys on the weekend. And I love doing this. People ask me all the time, you're busy enough, Jake. Why do you do this? Because I love it. This is one of my favorite things to do, honestly. I love sitting down, talking about all things sports and it's fun for me to be on the other side of the glass, uh, figuratively, to be in the host chair. I produce most of the time. I do host podcasts and the like, but there's nothing like live radio. And it's a thrill. It's a. It's, it's just so much fun to do. And uh, Jeff, you're still a relative neophyte uh, to this industry and doing this, but I think you've kind of got the same bug. It's just it's fun to do. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Just, and you never you never quite know what it's going to hold on a day-to-day basis because trust me (laughs) i have found myself in circumstances doing radio that i had you like i could never have envisioned them let's put it that way like think about the covid uh deal when so march 2019 hits was it 2020 2020 2020 these last three years by the way have just they're all a blur they all kind of jammed together uh so march 2020 rudy gobert test positive the night there in Oklahoma City. For the next four months, roughly, five months, six months, before the NBA bubble really started back up, we did sports radio. We did a daily radio show on three different shows on this station, four different shows on this station at that time, without actual sports. We were breaking down The Last Dance, the documentary series from ESPN. I have found myself in circumstances in this industry that is just nuts. Yeah. Absolutely nuts. Yeah, I mean, obviously not as maybe public yeah. big station stuff, but I mean, I was working at BOE TV when COVID sure. hit, yeah. and so we still BOE Sports Nation five days a week. That was still that was still airing. Nuts. Yeah, it's you. You find a way to keep the sports rolling. You find a way to keep the sports. Rolling. Life finds a way, Jeff. Life finds a way. Use the Jurassic Park quote, but it's true. And na, 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 na. Uh, oh, there we go. I I, I love what I do. Uh, frankly, I, I love it. So, uh, final few things here before we go. Uh, th- so the Utah Jazz, obviously, they're getting ready for a game tomorrow night against the Denver Nuggets. I meant to get to this quote, and Jeff, if you have it, give me a thumbs up. Let's do it as we go out the door here. So Donovan Mitchell, we we played Rudy Gobert earlier on today saying that he wants to see the team improve on defense, but he feels like they're on their way. They're, they're, they're going to figure things out. Well, Donovan Mitchell, and the issue is at hand, is that the Denver Nuggets game that they won without Rudy in the lineup, well, they looked pretty good on defense. The other four games, not so good. Here's Donovan Mitchell after, was this after the Indiana game? Yeah, this is so after, Pacers this is after the Pacers game. So here you go. Here's Donovan Mitchell talking about the Utah Jazz and their defensive effort. Obviously, when you don't have Rudy out, we did it against Jokic in Denver. You know, we shifted, you know, we were there in the paint, you know, at the end of I mean, Jokic had 20 and 20, but we still were shifted in, you know, making guys. And they shoot better than Denver does. Uh, they have more shooters. But, you know, the thing is we, we were able to execute. We were able to think. We were able to go out there and say, okay, you know, we're missing both our centers, you know, both our, both our big dogs. We were able to lock in, scramble, execute. And, you know, we didn't really do that to the highest level, whether it was on the ball, our scrambles, getting out of contest, closing out, boxing out. Um, we just didn't do it. Every possession, you know, there were times where we, we, when we needed it, we kicked in and we, we got the lead back. But, you know, for us to be where we want to be, we have to do it every possession. Um, and I can't say we did that tonight and not think that's going to eat at us because this is a game, like I said, this is a game we felt like we could win. And you got to give hats off to where um, you got to give them credit where credit's due. They got a lot of dogs over there, guys who are competing and fighting. Uh, Sabonis had a hell of a night. So we just got to go out there and continue to execute and think, you know, the game as far as the defense goes. Offensively, we did a lot of things right. 
you know, I, I think we, you know, we missed some, some, some easy ones, we missed some shots we normally make, but, you know, defensively, especially when, you know, you got Rudy out and then also Joe on the perimeter, like we got to be able to uh, lock in. There you go, Donovan Mitchell, and I think he's dead on with that with that assessment there. And Jordan Clarkson, uh, uh, just speaking immediately about it, I think it just literally just started. This is a quote, uh, Eric Walden from the Salt Lake Tribune with this quote. Uh, so Jordan Clarkson, why he liked the tweet about Rudy Gobert commenting on the defense. Here's the quote. It's just defense. It's all focus. It is what it is. That's what we got to. That's what we're going to hold our hat on. That's what we've been talking about all year. Just defense. We know what we've. Got, we know what we got to do. Uh, you, probably the wrong syntax there or grammar or whatever, but you get the point. The Jazz know what they need to fix. Focus, effort, intensity, desire, that's all got to go into this. Well, like he said with the all-year thing, defenses, I mean, they didn't start talking about defense when Gobert went out and no. they started having bad games. Defense has been what the entire team has talked about, whether... Quinn Snyder is talking about since he showed up in Utah eight years ago or whatever it's been. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like that's That's been the priority all season. And all every player interview mm-hmm. in some point they talk about defense and there's probably a mandate from Quinn if you do not you talk about defense then you will do runs it comes down from the top there's no doubt about that so uh, I think some good stuff there and hopefully we see a better defensive outing from them against the Nuggets tomorrow night six o'clock uh, tip in that game five o'clock pregame here on the zone sports network your exclusive radio home of the Utah Jazz all right that's going to do it for us on today's show but stay tuned uh two o'clock two thirty two thirty kickoff between pregame begins at two o'clock for so the Raiders two o'clock Raiders uh, you'll be able to hear that here on the zone of course we been broadcasting Raider game all year long. Brent Musburger, Lincoln Kennedy will be on the call of that as they take on the Cincinnati Bengals in the wild card game to kick off the NFL playoffs. And then later on tonight, a 6.30 pregame for Utah State basketball as they take on Wyoming. Scott Gerrard will have that for you guys here on The Zone as well. So a busy day ahead here on The Zone. Stay with us. Thank you again for joining us here on the Saturday show. Uh, brought to you by our friends over there at Mountainland Supply. One last plug for them. They are where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVA parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. For Jeff, I'm Jake. Have a great rest of your Saturday. This has been the Saturday Show right here on 97.5 FM, 1280 AM, and the Zone Sports Network. See ya.